Thanks for listening to the Women Emerging podcast. Every week we put up a new episode with insights into leadership, practical leadership, seen through the eyes of women leaders of all ages and all sectors from right across the world. Our aim is for women to be able to say, if that's leadership, I'm in. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and join Women Emerging on our website, womenemerging.org. That's womenemerging.org for more fabulous free leadership content. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Julie Middleton here, expedition leader and podcast host. This is the, oh dear, I can't remember, I think the fifth in the series on essence. The essence of ourselves that we then translate into how we lead. We've had a whole series of women from the expedition talking about bits in their essence and how they translate them into their leadership. Last week, um, Hinamoa spoke about her ancestors, past, how they influence her present and, and how that makes her think about the future. And as you'll see, I think doing Hinamoa last week on ancestors was almost the perfect precursor to today with Aisha on the subject of trauma and how trauma impacts our leadership. Uh, Yeah, it was a very, very good conversation. I handed it to immediately. Aisha, last week we, we looked at another piece of essence, which was ancestors. Mm-hmm. And Hinamoa talked a lot about um, how important it is to understand your ancestors and actually also to understand that you are ancestors to future generations um, and how when you think in that way, it has an impact on how you lead. And in a way, it was a sort of perfect pre-episode to this episode, isn't it? Because when you think about trauma, I think sometimes you sort of think about trauma in the moment or in the period, and you don't necessarily think of it as something that that you receive and hand on, mm-hmm. and that that must have an impact. I mean, trauma must have an impact on leadership because leadership is so much about relationships, isn't it? And about right. understanding yourself before you even start with the relationships. Anyhow, you, you're better than me on this one. I sure talk to me. Talk to me. So, um, so what has been? So trauma is very interesting. I think that um, you know we we've gone from a place of being very thinking about it very myopically um, from the space of war veterans and just talking about PTSD to now realizing that there are actually multiple forms of trauma and it's not just a cross-section in time, but, um, you know, there is the idea that was actually started by um, a psychiatrist in 1966, but sort of nobody took it on until now where we're talking about intergenerational trauma, historic trauma, collective trauma, and how 
the intergenerational trauma is actually there's so much neuroscientific evidence that it actually travels through our genes and through our epigenetics and through our um, attachment styles um, through generations. So, um, you know, if my great grandmother um, kind of went through, let's say, the trauma of partition, um, then the trauma that she felt gets passed on to her children, um, not just through genetics and epigenetics, but how she's nurturing, how she kind of um, connects with these children and has sort of a more distant attachment style with them so that it keeps getting on. And then beyond that, the stories that you hear, um, you know, the narratives that you keep hearing at dinner table, uh, in dinner table conversations or the movies that are put together. So, um, you know, all of that actually travels uh, through uh, sort of different generations to the point that it might show up um, in my, um, you know, dealings and relationships and how I uh, manifest sort of my leadership styles or, um, you know, how I am relating to the different people in my life. So um, lots of, and lot, you know, what, what has really shifted in this space is a lot of um, neurobiological and neuroanatomical research that they've been doing um, on animals and mice that have clearly, clearly shown that um, it's, it's it's traveled through at least four to five generations unless you do something in time to shift it and change it. I suppose lots of people, and maybe you'd count me in this, is they sort of think, yeah, yeah, trauma, yeah, yeah, trauma, and yeah, yeah, trauma, but that's that's personal stuff. It's not about my leadership. Right. So... So when when I think about how trauma affects me and I think about sort of either the collective trauma that I am feeling. So, for example, we've just gone through the collective trauma of the pandemic. Right. And it's affected all of us or the collective trauma that comes from, um, you know, the sexual underpinnings or the racial underpinnings like the Me Too movement or the Black Lives Matter movement then there's absolutely no way that it won't show up in my in my dealings as a leader in how i'm manifesting my leadership style and how i'm talking to my employees and how i'm taking decisions um, or not taking them or uh, stalling on some or jumping right ahead to some and how i'm sort of collecting my team so there's actually literature around um, give me an ex give me an example give me an example don't don't, don't be give me the literature give me an example so uh, an example of a leadership style so if i have a distant leadership style or let's say because i have um, i manifest trauma in a way where i am risk averse right where i'm cautious i'm distant i am unable to um, read um, the uh, in terms of my eq i'm unable to read what my team is feeling at that point then I'm unable to um, kind of show up with a lot of confidence in, you know, our, what, what kind of risks are we taking? I'm unable to be confident in terms of how I am providing my vision to my team. I'm not connecting with them. I'm not understanding their concerns. Um, and so I am actually um, not creating a lot of confidence um, in them. And then, of course, they are not giving the best 
to that vision or to that idea. Um, it can hang also- on, Hang on, give me, give me another example that's, that's wonderful. So another example would be, so trauma really affects your own sense of self, right? It, it um, causes me to second guess myself at all times. So let's say, um, you know, I have uh, data or evidence that's provided to me that this is something that needs to shift. So I can take my example in the shift in the space of mental health. Um, or how we how we manifest mental health disorder orders or what kind of an initiative we need to take. But because uh, my sense of self is affected, I am reticent about sort of taking that step and feeling secure in my own self that I have the knowledge, I have the gravitas, I have the wisdom, I have the experience, I have now the evidence. Let's take this leap of faith and move forward and, uh, you know, try to work um, on this initiative because my that's interesting because when I said beautiful and I expressed myself badly I was thinking is there ever an example of when trauma actually makes you a much better leader you know so for example I've had the trauma let's say of being excluded mm -hmm. and that has made me an infinite I I'm not talking about myself <laughs> I'm too right. lucky but um I've had the, I know the trauma of being excluded and therefore I am a much, much better leader because I have no intention of, of handing that on. So, um, Julia, trauma is pretty much an essence of life, right? I see trauma as being very much a part and parcel of who we are and um, you know, what we bring to the table. Um, none of us have been able to, um, I mean, there's, I don't think any single person who can say that I've not had any trauma in my life, right? Um, they may not be big, huge traumas, but just in case, let's say you you are a person of uh, who's been born in a privileged position and a privileged race, whatever it might be. But if you are someone with even half the EQ that is needed, you would actually feel the collective trauma of what's happening around you, right? Um, so the 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 way trauma actually shifts you into becoming kinder, more compassionate. Uh, more empathic towards people makes you um, sort of a better leader because now you're able to pick up from. But for that, I think it's important, like in anything else, is for you to understand the um, participation of trauma, the presence of trauma in your life, where it comes from, and then the self-reflection around it, that what how does it manifest in me? How do I manifest my trauma? And then once you have that, then you can shift to make the changes that are necessary to work through your trauma or to process your trauma. And when we talk about trauma, you sort of immediately go to war, violence, mm -hmm. abuse, mm -hmm. probably poverty, mm -hmm. um, those kinds of words. Do you also go to um, being a minority, being the recipient of prejudice? And 
how does how does that show up as trauma and therefore how does it show up in leadership so trauma could be from anything right so as i said before that when we think about trauma we think of sort of big things we think about race we think about um sexual abuse but for example the most common kind of abuse in um children and adolescents is actually neglect it's actually not sexual abuse it's not physical abuse and there's there are lots and lots of studies that talk about how neglect actually causes significant emotional and psychological trauma um in children which results to how they um kind of grow up and they it actually has significant adverse effects on their development multiple you know forms of development so um that could be something that could easily be seen what kind of you know and again people when i when when i was talking about intergenerational trauma i think that becomes very much um part and parcel of the intergenerational trauma that if you have a avoidant attachment style because of your own trauma then that's how you're raising your children and then that is causing uh the neglect or the psychological or the emotional abuse um on their children by virtue of not doing what you should be doing so that's one kind poverty of course could be another one we've also talked about you've talked about minorities so again you know what does it mean to constantly be or live in a space of fear so as minorities um you know it's it's there's again um you know evidence but stories um how people that um are a minority status um live with caution live with um sort of this fear that they don't want to attract attention to themselves um so that in itself um is a trauma uh, where you're you're unable to kind of say that i belong right and i belong freely uh, but then you know there's there's adversity and there's caution around that so trauma kind of shows up in all sorts of shapes and form there could be secondary trauma where um you know again somebody living in pakistan for example um may not actually see firsthand the trauma um of race for example um or of the movement of black lives matter but if you are um you know if you read if you watch the news if you watch movies if you have exposure to social media and the rest of the world then that's that's trauma that you are actually imbibing from your surroundings that's very interesting come back to the race issue mhm mm so yeah go ahead go did you no no you go on you go on because I, i was actually i was going to add um on the race issue there is the sense of fear there's also that deep sense deep 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 sense of injustice and that mm -hmm. in itself is trauma no doubt too right right so race is an interesting one because again you know you might not you in in your own sort of cultural context you may um kind of notice the trauma around the socio economic status more you may notice the trauma of being a certain color for example more you may notice the trauma of patriarchy of colonialism um but uh you know if again if you are um exposed to or if you are again i'm going to use the same term sort of even um 
remotely empathic to what's happening around you, which most humans are. They kind of feel the pain of others. Um, and especially in when it comes in the forms of storytelling, when it comes in the form of that individual person's story or a group story around injustice, then you start feeling that secondary trauma. I had, I had earlier spoken about how intergenerational trauma is passed on by narratives in the family, by stories that are told from one generation to another. So similarly, if you're constantly hearing the stories of what is happening around you in your world, then you feel that source of injustice. And injustice is a universal phenomenon. So while you might not um, actually feel that firsthand injustice of race, you felt it in other ways. So you're able to feel the pain of others. And that also shifts your neurobiological processes and neuroanatomical processes in your brain, just like as if you were there um, and actually feeling it firsthand or actually experiencing it firsthand. And if you are experiencing it firsthand, what impact will that have on your leadership? Oh, it, so so if I if let's let's start from the impact of trauma generally, and then um, you know I'll I'll talk about it how it gets re gets reflected in leadership. So so more you know, I'm, and I might be forgetting some some of the ways that it manifests, but trauma is going to affect, as I said, your sense of self. Trauma affects your um, uh, emotional regulation. Trauma affects your cognition, your sort of your thinking and your thinking processes. Trauma affects your behaviors. Um, trauma affects your body. So there's a really brilliant book by Dr. Paul called The Body Keeps a Score. So trauma affects your bodily functions. So when any of these are affected, then automatically all of these, and, and trauma affects your relationships. So all of these are very much part and parcel of how you lead. So um, if trauma has affected your um, behavioral manifestations, then of course, that's part of leadership. It affects your cognition, that's part of leadership. So you're not able to make sharp decisions, in-time decisions, confident decisions. Trauma affects your relationships. Leadership is all about, um, you know, relationships and, and how do you um, elicit confidence in your team if you're not feeling confident yourself, um, if it affects your, you know, your body. Um, as we said, the body keeps a score, then things like irritable bowel syndrome, things like eczema, things like, you know, stress that shows up in all sorts of different ways and form in your body, uh, fibromyalgias, um, you know, chronic fatigue depression, anxiety. So that obviously automatically affects your leadership style if your body is affected um, from the trauma that it's manifesting somatically. So let's get personal. Mm -hmm. Have you ever, can you think of, a, I mean, it's a stupid question, have you ever, can you think of a moment where you have be, uh, been the recipient of racism or I suppose Islamophobia Let's put mm -hmm. let's put misogyny aside for a moment. Let's mm -hmm. talk about race and and faith. Mm -hmm. um, can you think of a moment where you was the recipient of it? What kind of trauma it might have played out as, and how it might have influenced your leadership? 
so I, okay. So I, I'll talk a little bit about um, Islamophobia and not necessarily in a way that perhaps it um, affected me personally, but I saw it on the rise around me as I was moving up in the space of leadership. Um, I saw it secondhand, sometimes firsthand, but mostly kind of, you know, hearing stories of my patients that were coming in, hearing stories from uh, my colleagues um, who were working in the, in the space of health, um, hearing stories from um, international talks that were being done on um, Islamophobia and how it was affecting the mental health kind of space. Um, and, and it's traumatic, sort of he hearing those stories is traumatic from, again, from the perspective of one, you are um, you're feeling the trauma or you're hearing firsthand the trauma of people that look like you, that have been raised by you, that kind of share the same faith as you have. Um, but then it also becomes personal because you start thinking, well, it can, if it, it can happen to them or their children or their spouses or their families, then it could happen to you. Right. So you automatically, again, um, and I'm bringing a little bit of neuroscience into it because I think it's important, but it shifts, um, you know, how your um, amygdala functions, which is where trauma sits in, in the brain. And it sends a lot of hormonal responses and the vagal nerve that connects your brain to the rest of your body. And, um, you know, your amygdala almost becomes, you know, how, how we talk about the fight and fright. So little things that kind of make you question where they wouldn't have make you question before. So your amygdala almost becomes um, an oversensitive uh, smoke alarm. So you know, even a tiny statement somewhere, a tiny, um, you know, kind of reference somewhere automatically kind of, um, you know, ignites that space in your brain and you, you, um, you know, stiffen up and you start thinking, is this happening because I'm a Muslim? Is this happening because, you know, I belong to the same faith or is it happening? Are they saying it against, you know, it's like, is, 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 is religion involved somewhere or race involved somewhere? So, so what it would do to me, for example, or how it's manifested in me is that my, so one of the um, two of the ways that people deal with trauma or the presence of trauma in their lives is through denial or through minimization, right? And I feel, um, or I felt, and I'm, you know, actively trying to work around that, is that I've, um, I've dealt with it in both those ways. So, you know, kind of understating um, in the way I talk, in the things that I say, in how I manifest my Muslimness on religiousnessness, right? So I've, I've sort of taken a backseat on that, trying to keep it on the back burner. Um, also not talking about it in terms of, you know, the, the vulnerability that I would show otherwise in other spaces. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, it's so important um, for leaders to model vulnerability and you can only do that when you've dealt with your trauma. And within that space, I feel that I 
um, I minimize the presence of that trauma in my life. I don't talk about it. I don't because it feels um, it feels unsafe. There's there is a lack of psychological safety in me, um, you know, bringing that aspect into my leadership style. So I I'll give you a very concrete example um, on that one. That um, it's been about six to eight months where um, a colleague of mine and um, and I, the two of us, have been talking about incorporating um, the idea of cognitive behavior therapy and um, and religion, right? Mm-hmm. And how people who've grown up in a specific culture of a in the, in the culture of a specific religion, like for example, Islam or Muslims. How does that manifest in um, doing CBT with or cognitive behavior therapy in patients who are Muslims, right? How do the ideas of the religion um, affect their thought processes and how does the therapist then um, talk about them and bring them to light and try to uh, work with those? And you know, we've, we've just still not kind of gone ahead and said that, all right, we're ready to work in the space because it feels more vulnerable, even though, um, you know, any in any other space as, as a leader, I would have jumped at a new idea right away. So that, that could be an example of how it affects your leadership style. Somewhere during this conversation, you use the word colonialism. Mm-hmm. And and when you used it, I was thinking, you know, there's the old fashioned colonialism, well, the, the centuries old colonialism, and then there's a modern day colonialism, I would think, too. But mm-hmm. is that part of trauma for a large part of the world? Yeah. So um, it's an interesting trauma, right? Because colonialism is all about... Um, someone with, with or or it or proclaiming somebody proclaiming greater power coming in and and um, you know telling you that you're not good enough. So we need to come in and shape you and your systems, right? And shape you as a society. Um, and slowly, um, their views become part and parcel of um, how your systems function or had been functioning before that. So the um, colonialism is, has been very interesting because it's actually worked, it worked by, um, you know, through a lot of psychological, uh, what's the word that I want to use? You know, it's like putting, putting you on the back burner so eventually you started believing that you know you you're not good enough and whatever's coming out from that particular uh, civilization is is better in some shape or form so there's significant amount of psychological trauma that gets passed on because again your sense of self becomes affected your cognition becomes affected you're unlikely to take sort of you know, decisions the way you would otherwise, or you're unlikely to adapt to different um, sort of environments or, um, you know, kind of ability to trust your own instincts and trust your own um, sense of self. 
So that I feel, and, and it continues. So um, again, that's intergenerational. So even today when colonialism or actually, you know, sort of we've, we've gained independence and it's been, you know, over 80 years since there uh, has been actually a physical independence, um, there still exists the idea that anything that is coming from the West, for example, it will be superior to whatever um, we are actually building indigenously. You know, anything that came from outside was, was considered to be superior. Um, and so it can, education that comes from the outside, a degree that comes from the outside, the use of English language, the more it, it's, it's used, the better you can speak. Um, you know, that means that you must be more intelligent and more accomplished. So it continues. And then there's a significant amount of colonialism in higher education, um, significant. Um, just, just today, I was talking to someone in the morning about how I was reflecting on it last, eve, last night that, um, you know, the idea of misogyny and um, anti-feminism or uh, women harassment or, you know, all of these things are, are such Western influences um, in our country. So this this whole region, the whole South Asian region, has a has a long history of matriarchy and very very strong, um, very well respected female leaders. Um, and there was there was no question about um, you know even in institutions and also motherhood was considered to be such a noble such a noble thing that you know we need to take care of her she is the mother of the future generations of my, or my child or she is the so 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 but the western influence completely shifted that so the idea of motherhood um suddenly became more of a like Burden. you know yeah Burden. yeah a and, and, you know, you've got to create them, you've got to create babies and yeah, so what, you know, it's like you've no big deal. And, um, you know, there was this whole historic idea of or cultural idea that you need to keep the mother safe and happy and content and because she's carrying the future generation. And that has completely shifted um, sort of with the Western influence. So it's, um, I, I think that there have been a lot of um, repercussions um, or, or continuous effects generational effects of colonialism in in the space of leadership as well so pulling all these strands together i think you're saying that yes trauma is one of the parts of essence essence being the things that are the essence of your leadership and particularly women's leadership whether that trauma is primary or secondary and recognizing that and therefore what's the right word is it managing that being aware of that counterbalancing that what is it what is it that we need to do as a result of 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 of, of having of of putting trauma in the essence circle and naming it and seeing it as part of you what do you do as a result of that so what you do as a result of that, um, Julia, is one, um, one, I think it's 
leaders have to make um, the idea of healing trauma um, safe, okay? And they can only do that by, again, modeling it themselves. So one is that, that, you know, the idea that, um, you know, the, the, the discussion around trauma scares people away, but the idea that it can be healed, it can be processed and, you look, you know, this is how I do it, having open conversations around it. And when I say this is how I do it, I don't mean going to the therapist or going, I mean, healing trauma comes from music, comes from cycling, comes from being close to nature, comes from, um, you know, kind of narrating your own stories and, uh, you know, using humor to kind of say, so there can be multiple ways that you um, sort of process your own trauma, but having those conversations, um, you know, you make you make that okay. Then um, I think one way that uh, leaders can understanding that trauma is such a big part is, um, and I, I I I I'd like to think that I do that myself quite a bit, and I um, feel it's exceedingly important is to model vulnerability. Um, I. I feel that this idea is uh, of that I I don't have any spaces where I'm vulnerable is very toxic um, because it doesn't leave anyone any space to be authentic. So I I feel that 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 piece is important. Whether if only if the leader has been able to reflect on, on their own trauma and reflect on how it manifests in their leadership style, in their personal lives, uh, only then they'd be able to model that vulnerability and kind of say, you know, this, this, is, this is my space where I'm feeling burnt out or I'm feeling like I need a, a, a pause. Um, I need to look for silences right now, or, you know, now I'm ready to go full throttle, whatever it might be. So I feel that that modeling, modeling vulnerability is important. Um, then, um, you know, developing what I, I've talked about a little bit before in, a, in, a, in another podcast is about developing compassion. And you can only do that if you've, if you've, again, reflected on your own trauma and reflected on your sense of, like, if you are actively um, going through trauma yourself, then it's hard for you to, to have enough energy, enough compassion about others. So again, knowing yours, processing yours, and then, um, you know, developing that compassionate empathy and all of that, I think at the end leads to um, what I call conscious leadership, that you're doing leadership, you're understanding that leadership is an action, it's changing, it's shifting, and you're conscious about it. And, um, you know, you're actually making moment to moment sort of decisions and change around, um, around how you are manifesting your leadership. You know, this this conversation has been wonderful. Um, I'd love to add to this friendships. And, and I'll give you an example. Um, my childhood had too much experience of women who drank too much. Right. Okay. And alcohol. And mm -hmm. it's interesting now, if I'm in an interesting situation and there's a very drunk woman my children tend to circle around me because uh, they know they know that mum's judgment will be wrong. Mm, mm, mm. And it's interesting, isn't it? It's also to have 
in my case, children there, but to have friends around you who can sort of circle around you when they know that that trauma is going to manifest and and mess about your own judgment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can I can tell you for me, it's. Um, very vulnerable woman, no, we're not vulnerable, very, uh, I take that back. I think the word is, um, you know, anxious, dependent women, um, women who will, who are so deprived of their own sense of self that they'll manifest as, oh, with, with a lot of helplessness. And I know that judgment comes in. Um, you know, my immediate response is, please pull up your socks, just get up and just get going like you there is there is no space for this there's no we we can't we, you know we we can't have helpless women we you know you've got to you've got to just get up uh, and um pull yourself up together and somehow and um and my friends male friends female friends know that and they'll pick it up and they're like you know not okay right think about you know that person's trauma and if they don't have those reserves and they don't have those reserves right now and we need to work with them from again from this place of compassion and empathy Aisha thank you so so much not for a minute am I going to make any attempt to pull any of what you said together um anything that you've said over the last 35 minutes almost impossible to summarize I am still if the truth be told, still processing it in my head. So thank you. Next week is, I think, the last of our series on essence. And that is Isita. And she's going to talk to us about education. Very, very much looking forward to it. In the meantime, lots of love, Julia. To become part of our movement and share your thinking with us, subscribe to the podcast and join the Women Emerging group on our website at womenemerging.org. We love all of the messages you send us. Keep them coming.